setting a price for your art is one of the primary and most important ways that we need to set boundaries. It declares, I deserve to be paid for the art I create. Even if you're new to painting, even if anything, I urge you to incorporate something for that ethereal value. Even if in the beginning you don't have enough self-confidence to multiply it by more than one and a half, that's fine. If that's where you're at and it feels good, do that, but work it in there. It's got to become something that you expect to be compensated for. Welcome to the Passionate Painter Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Italia Carlson. Whether your art is a full-time career or your side gig, if you are passionate about creating art, this podcast is for you. Don't worry about taking notes. I'll do that for you. And you can find them at passionatepainterpodcast.com. Welcome back. In this episode, I'm going to talk about how artists can benefit from mindfully taking a subjective or objective mindset, depending on the circumstances. The analogy I use is switching between two hats, one for the subjective mindset and one for the objective mindset. If we try to put on our objective hat when we need to validate our feelings, we can stomp all over ourselves. We can discount our feelings and negate our own needs. Subjectivity can be great for learning to trust ourselves, for becoming aware of our needs, setting boundaries, and building confidence. When we're wearing our subjective hat, however, when we'd be better served by our objective hat, we come across as reactive and overly emotional in situations when objectivity would be much more effective. Objectivity is great for giving others the benefit of the doubt, instead of jumping to conclusions and creating drama by making up stories in our minds about what's going on with others before we've got the whole picture. It also has its own role to play when building confidence, helping us when we need to learn not to take things too personally. Check out the educational video that goes with this episode at passionatepainterpodcast.com slash episode 67. This is where you can also find a link to three downloadable fun sheets for using this concept to help you manage your art projects, set your pricing, and set boundaries. Don't forget, my new online course, The Portrait Code, will be launching in March. It's not only a masterclass walking you through the essentials of design, composition, perspective, anatomy, skin tones, plus a 26-video portrait demonstration. It kicks off with an eight-lesson module on confidence. This robust course will help both beginner and intermediate painters take their work to the next level. But if you've wanted to get into portraiture but been unsure where to start, this course is especially for you. My goal is to give you a no-fear, no-tears roadmap to getting where you want to go. Be sure to sign up for my email list to receive a coupon code for $50 off at launch time, as well as ongoing access to the free downloadable checklists and ebooks in the Podcast Insider's Vault. You can sign up in the sidebar of any podcast page of my website. Just go to passionatepainterpodcast.com. Welcome back. In this episode, we're going to look at putting on the right hat to help you towards your goals as an artist. Now, I'm being figurative, of course. 
Some of you know that I'm a hat person, always have been. And we're going to look at the idea of wearing different hats, subjective versus objective, to move you towards your goals. So I'm happy to say in the start of the third decade of the new millennium, there seems to finally be an acceptance that people actually have feelings, that empathy is a real thing and it's good. And I think as an artist, you probably already know that, but I'm happy with this trend. When we talk about a subjective hat, we're talking about situations that require us to be our own biggest shameless cheerleaders. When we talk about wearing an objective hat, we're talking about being objective with the Vulcan-like attitude of a Stoic. So in this episode, we're going to look at how wearing both hats can be useful depending on which one is best suited to the situation at hand to propel you forward towards your goals. So let's take a look at these two hats. The subjective hat is best when you're looking at tackling a big idea. You're inspired and you want to move forward with a big goal. It can also be useful moving you forward incrementally toward that goal to get you inspired and give you the energy to keep going day after day. Your objective hat is most helpful when planning out that goal and evaluating your plan as you go, such as when you're critiquing your painting, to make sure that you stay on track. It's also helpful in the later aftermath when the dust has settled to help you assess and accept how your project went and what you've learned for next time. So what does this look like? Say, for example, you want to be ready for a solo show on a deadline. Put on your subjective hat when you're brainstorming and pull out that sketchbook and fill it with as many ideas as you can or carry it around with you and put in those ideas as they come along so that it's always nearby when you get that spike of inspiration. You can then switch to the objective hat to sort out your ideas and decide which ones are worth pursuing. Because if you're lucky enough to have a whole bunch of ideas, you may not have the time to actually execute all of them in time for your show. And you can keep that objective hat on when you're working out your schedule to make sure that you account for all of the supplies you're going to need, get them ordered or purchased, and have everything you need to move forward on a regular schedule so that you can be done on time for your deadline. You'll need to be able to figure out on average how long it takes to finish each piece while factoring in your other obligations that can't be rescheduled or postponed. Now, keep in mind, I did mention being subjective when you brainstorm those ideas before you sort them out. You may as well go for the cool ideas you have rather than sucking the air out of the room with the old, well, what's the difference what I paint? Objective observation. The brainstorming session is the time to be your cheerleader. It's also a time to be careful who you share your ideas with because you want to make sure that the person who looks at them, if you show them to someone when you're trying to figure out which ones to pursue, understands your creativity and where you're coming from. We've already established a direction for your show and that you've decided that this is the path you want to go down. We're just eliminating the ideas that aren't your very best to make sure you have enough time to execute the ones that are. Getting started with your creative sessions to start working on those pieces for the show is going to involve once again becoming your biggest cheerleader. Put on your favorite music, 
or podcast or whatever inspires you to get in your zone and get lost in the process. Now, during these creative sessions where you're wearing your subjective hat, you're going to need to take those breaks that I'm sure you plan to take. When you do, try to physically step away, get way, way back, get out of the room, try to get some objectivity, get some lunch. This is when you're going to switch hats once again and put on your objective hat to take a look at where you're at and do an assessment. Give yourself a mini critique. If it's a painting or drawing, a two-dimensional piece of artwork, try to turn it upside down while you're taking your break and try to look at it with fresh eyes across the room if possible. When you're looking at your two-dimensional artwork upside down, make sure that the composition looks as strong upside down as it does right side up. Or take a quick photo on your cell phone. Even if it's not upside down, if it's self-correcting and it keeps flipping over on you, you can still usually spot things that need to be changed, things that jump out at you on a cell phone photo that you may not spot when it's in front of you on an easel. So once you're done with your objective assessment, your critique, and your break, go ahead and switch back, switch hats to the subjective hat, to believing that you are now again pursuing your chosen purpose with your painting, sculpture, drawing, whatever it is. Switching back and forth between objective and subjective, depending upon the needs of your artwork at that time, is going to help you and keep moving you forward while at the same time keeping you on track as you work. When you get to that big opening, keep that subjective cheerleader hat on during the opening. Treat yourself as you would your very best friend who you are so excited for to be having this wonderful opening because you need to love yourself at least as much as your very best friend. Now, as the dust settles after your big event, put on that objective hat again to do an assessment. What went right that you would do again? And what did you learn to save you stress? When you look at this example of when you would switch hats from subjective cheerleader to objective stoic, you can see how it can be helpful in giving you momentum, propelling you along, and keeping you on track. And it gets easier the more you use it mindfully. Now, in addition to this example of how you can switch between a subjective hat and an objective hat for something like a showing of your artwork, let's look at two more examples. One of them is going to be how you can apply it to pricing your artwork. And the other one is the big daddy of them all, setting boundaries. Let's take a look at pricing. So my method when setting pricing is to start out with the objective, making a list of all of the overhead involved in creating a piece of art, the time spent, the materials, the framing, and the shipping if necessary. Now, don't forget to factor in communications with your clients into your time spent. This is where it helps to record your time as you make your art. And I am going to include a downloadable timesheet for doing that the one that I use for my artwork, whether it's digital art or it's my fine art. Now, I have three methods for tracking my time, and I don't use all of them for everything. I always use my paper tracker that I keep on a clipboard for tracking my studio time and my digital art time. For me, this is my go-to for everything. There are times, though, usually for my digital agency that I use two additional methods. 
One of them is an Excel spreadsheet. And one of them is an online tracker that is called clockify.me. So those are things I link to in the show notes and you may or may not find them helpful, or you may prefer them or something else to tracking your time to my paper timesheet. The bottom line is whatever method that you use, I recommend choosing one to record your time spent. And that includes the communication time that you spend with clients arranging for anything that's on commission or anything where a client is involved. If one of your paintings, for example, is a commission and it involves two phone calls, a sitting for a photo shoot, a couple of Zoom calls, and a few emails in addition to an in-person sitting for either a sketch or actual sitting time with your model to photograph or actually do oil sketches or painting work on the portrait itself, the time you spend on your painting in addition to your actual painting time at your easel, may involve time spent going to get supplies. It may involve time spent shipping the piece or packing it for shipping. It may involve time spent photographing your model in your studio or having them sit for oil sketches. And it may also involve things like emails and phone calls or Zoom calls with your client before you actually ship out the finished piece. Note the time for each of these activities because they count too. They all take time and need to be accounted for. Now, there are a lot of formulas out there for pricing. Some people don't use formulas, but I think any kind of consistent pricing method is going to involve some form of a formula. And I use one in the objective phase of my pricing. Here's mine, which involves linear inches. It starts with length plus length, plus width, plus width, to give you your linear inch measurement. I then multiply the linear inches by a dollar amount per linear inch for supplies. I then add an hourly amount for time spend. Now, naturally, at the beginning of a portrait, you're not going to know exactly how much time you're spending on that piece. And in most cases, your client's going to want to know how much that painting will cost. So I give them an estimate based on my previous records of time for paintings of that size. This is one of the reasons it's important to continue tracking your time on your paintings because you want to make sure you don't leave money on the table when it comes to being compensated for how much of your time you've spent. Not keeping track of your time can lead to giving away way too much of your time and energy on a painting. So once you've got those linear inches figured out, you're going to add that fee for your time spent, which is going to be hours times an hourly rate. Again, if this is for an estimate, it's going to be based on previous hours spent on a painting that size. Then you're going to multiply it by, say, two to give yourself a jumping off point that includes the ethereal value of that piece. Now, of course, if you're already selling your work, you may have a better idea of how much to multiply it by. If your paintings have gone up in price range, for example, this is where things get more subjective. The difference between somebody saying a painting is worth $1,000 and $4,000. So you're going to know the more experienced you get what feels right with regard to that additional price bump. Are you going to multiply it by one and a half or two or three, et cetera? So that's where you're going to start getting into the subjective. So let's take a look at an example using a 16 by 20 portrait. 16 plus 16 plus 20 plus 20 is going to give you 72 linear inches. 
Now, this isn't going to be complicated math, but don't worry about it in either case because you will have a downloadable pricing sheet in the show note links. Okay, so say you have 72 linear inches. We're going to multiply that with a dollar amount for supplies. Now, it depends on what your supplies are. If you're working in marble, your dollar amount for supplies is going to be a lot higher than if you're working in acrylics or even oils. Usually with my oils, I go with around $275-$3 per linear inch for supplies. That will probably change in the future, but it's a good starting point. So let's say we're using $3 per linear inch. 72 linear inches times $3 is going to give you a price for the supplies at $216. Now you're going to add in your time spend. Let's say your previous 16 by 20 portraits took you 12 hours to paint. Pick your hourly rate. Again, this is just for example's sake, but let's say your hourly rate is $25 an hour. You're going to multiply 12 hours times $25 an hour for a time spend of $300. So $216 for your supplies plus your $300 time spend is going to bring you to $516. Now we're going to double it to bring in that ethereal value that is definitely inherent in your artwork. And you've got to build that in. It's a mistake to leave that out from the beginning. Even if you're new to painting, even if anything, I urge you to incorporate something for that ethereal value. Even if in the beginning you don't have enough self-confidence to multiply it by more than one and a half, that's fine. If that's where you're at and it feels good, do that, but work it in there. It's got to become something that you expect to be compensated for. Again, this is getting into the subjective area of your pricing. In our example, we've got 72 linear inches times $3 for supplies, giving us $216 plus $300 for time spend. We're now at $516. If we're moderate and we just double it, we're at $1,032 for the price of that painting. This is quite a reasonable price for a 16 by 20 inch portrait that you probably took at least a dozen hours to complete. So you can see that this formula is flexible before we even get to the subjective part in that you can adjust any of these areas for materials per inch, your hourly rate for your time spend, and the amount that you multiply that total until you get a number that you feel comfortable with for the art you create. The key here is that once you factored in all of these objective things, you switch to your subjective hat and ask yourself, does it feel right? Does the price I've arrived at feel right? Or do I need to lower it or raise it? That's up to you. You have every right to make that adjustment. Now, again, the reason I use a formula when I'm pricing my work is it enables me to price all of my work fairly consistently, allowing me to avoid huge jumps in pricing from size to size. Now, if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you've no doubt heard me talk about pricing on just about every episode. And it's helpful. And I recommend going back and listening to various episodes to see what other artists recommend. I know I just talked about it with Laura C. George, and I talked about it with Corey Huff recently as well. And remember, you have access to my personal pricing formula in the links in the show notes for this episode. Now, the final area I want to talk about in this podcast is boundaries. 
By now, just about everyone knows that learning to set healthy boundaries is important for people to live a happy, fulfilling life. It's also extremely important for us as artists, as the one thing we often need most to achieve our dreams is time. Time to create our work and get it in front of the people who will love it. Now, of course, boundaries is related to pricing in that setting a price for your art is one of the primary and most important ways that we need to set boundaries. It declares, I deserve to be paid for the art I create. Now, of course, boundaries is something so big that I could dedicate an entire podcast to it, let alone a podcast episode. So what I'm going to do here is give you an example and some recommendations and then link to resources for further learning if you're interested. Okay, have you ever had a friend ask you for advice when they were really torn over something that they should do or not do? It's most likely something that they were emotionally invested in. Something tied to an important relationship they were afraid to lose or damage by saying no and drawing a boundary. Okay, the example I'm going to give you is my sister has asked me to pet sit her dog last minute while she goes on vacation. Now she knows that I usually have to work late. I have a very demanding job. And this week in particular, when she wants me to pet sit, I need to work late at least four out of five nights. And the fifth night is date night. So this is something that is going to be inconvenient to me at the very best. It's going to emotionally mess up my weekend because I'll miss date night. And I'm not even sure I can figure out how to do it, even if I wanted to, which we haven't even addressed. We haven't looked at even if it's something I want to do for her. Okay, so we often have solutions for these things for our friends who ask us for advice because we're not the ones emotionally invested. We can often see the unfairness of the situation as well as the negative impact that doing this favor is going to have on our friend if they give up their boundary and forfeit their own needs. It's important to remember that every time a person gives up their boundaries, the offender is going to gain a little bit of ground, making it almost certain that they're going to encroach on our sacred space again in the future. So here we go, putting on our objective hat, pretending that we are looking at the situation, pretending we are giving advice to a friend that it's not something that is happening to us. We are going to step way, way back here. We are, in fact, going to pretend we are observing the request of person A, the requestor, for help from person B. That is our friend or maybe us. Now, think about what you'd tell your best friend or person B if they ask for advice on how to handle this situation. It may be very clear to you what they should do. Now, as with the pricing exercise, put your subjective hat back on and look at your solution and ask yourself how that solution feels if you were the one who the request was made of. Does it feel expansive, like a Friday at 5 p.m., or contracted, like a Monday at 8 a.m.? In the beginning, when you're practicing setting boundaries, Setting any boundary is going to feel like that Monday. It's going to feel constricted, tense, and tight. Now, as you get more practice, this should get easier. And you should start to feel like you've had a little win each time you're able to draw a line in the sand and set a boundary. 
But when you put on your subjective hat, if you run through the solution you've suggested, and it feels just way too Monday to go with the advice you've given your friend, you may need to look into developing stronger boundaries in general. Or you may just have an issue with this one person. If this is the first time they've asked, and especially if it's a last-minute request, remember that the way you respond is going to train them for next time. So I recommend laying down some kind of boundary with love. They may surprise you and be understanding and tell you they're fine with it. And I recommend you don't read into that and tell yourself they're saying that, but they're not fine with it. Just go with it. It's a gift. If they're unreasonable when you set your boundary, you've got work to do with this particular person. You're either going to need to retrain them about your boundaries or cut them out of your life as much as possible. If they're a relative, this is more difficult than it is if they are a friend or, of course, an acquaintance at work. Now, disclaimer time, as usual, I am not a psychologist, but I am someone who has done a lot of work on my boundaries and I know that setting boundaries is a very important step for everyone to learn, especially artists. So if you find that boundaries is a big issue, a big stumbling block for you, I recommend you check out Terry Cole's website. She also goes by The Boundary Boss and has a book by that name that's extremely helpful. There are going to be many websites you can find out there on the topic of boundaries. So far, this has been the most helpful for me. Reading her book and reading blog posts or podcast episodes, Terry Cole seems to have a really great way about her to help people learn how to navigate their boundaries. This is not an affiliate link. I'm just sharing with you what has helped me the most regarding this particular issue. And I find that switching between the subjective and objective hats in the issue of boundary setting is extremely helpful in figuring out what boundary I would set If I were talking to someone else and then dropping it back into the reference point of, if it's my boundary, am I actually going to be able to live with this and move forward? So there you have it. Three different scenarios in which switching between a figurative subjective hat and objective hat can help you move forward with your goals as an artist. Please let me know how you approach your goals as an artist by leaving a comment. For those of you whose goals include learning to become a portrait painter, don't forget to sign up for my email list at passionatepainterpodcast.com. When you do, you'll not only get access to my freebie vault of downloadables, including the ones discussed in this episode, you'll also receive a coupon code for $50 off when my new online course, The Portrait Code, launches on March 10th, 2022. Until next time, go make something.